Thank you so much, Andrea, fellow Canadian. All right, so it's great. There we go. It's great, and it's still great to be here with you all. And uh, we love being here in Raleigh. We've been here since February, although we do a lot of traveling with Catch the Fire USA and some will Catch the Fire Canada as well. So, and I just want to say before I get started that you know, not only is it a privilege to be here with you and to, and to be sharing the word, but to also have some family with me. So can I just have my family members as well as I have a, I have a future son-in-law that's here too. So it's great. And uh, my daughter and son-in-law, uh, Ecole and Yannick, are from Sherbrooke, Quebec. And then we got Lucas and Zoe from Kansas City, Missouri. And of course, Gloriana lives with us, so... Anyway, God is so amazing, and I feel like I'm falling in love more every day, and uh, he's worth it all, church, he's worth it all, and so this morning what we're going to do uh, as the Lord leads us and by the grace of God is step into the third part of a series that started the first of every month, the last two months, pertaining to communion. We're going to receive communion at the end of today's service, and we trust that the Lord will begin to stir and awaken your heart as well as mine for the more, because there's always more, and there's a richness of his presence and a richness in the word, as well as a richness of culture that I believe is awaiting us to be able to step into. There's so much the Lord has prepared for us that as we step into it, as we gaze upon him, step into what he has, it's like we, we find new life and new invigoration and new strength for the day. And so today our focus primarily is, is communion as it pertains to this life in which we live, to be able to apprehend it, to lay hold of it, so that we can really see the Lamb of God receive the reward of his suffering. You know, the Moravian call, the Moravian cry is a couple of uh, young men sold themselves into slavery several hundred years ago uh, and went into the Caribbean islands so that they could preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the, to the islanders uh, as the families are saying, why are you doing this? And they, they cried out and they said, so that the Lamb of God may receive the reward of his suffering." And I feel like that cry is just so desperately needed in all of our hearts because, you know, it's, yes, it's so souls would be saved, but I believe that the Lamb of God receives the reward of his suffering means that you and I also engage everything that his blood was shed for, that his body was broken for. And that includes that we might have life and have it to the full, John 10.10. 10. It includes that Jesus, who came to destroy the work of the devil, did it 2,000 years ago. That's not just our legal position. We want it to be our living condition. And I think that even as Jesus put the enemy under his feet, I believe there's actually a grace of God in our lives that the enemy be put under our feet and we get to partner with the Spirit of God to ensure that it happens. How many of you are excited about that? Because you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. We lend to the nations. We don't have to borrow. And so there's access. And sometimes we don't know what we have access to until we, it's like the veil is lifted and we suddenly see it. And so there's so much in this day and age and in this life that is available to us because of the body and the blood of Jesus. And I pray today that the veil would lift and we would begin to see things at a greater level. Because even when we consider communion, you know, we can call communion the meal that heals. You know, how many of you need healing in some way to this morning? It's almost, it's afternoon. You might have needed it this morning, you still need it this afternoon. Right? We've been in the presence for a while. We find that things begin to lift off of us in the presence. And a lot gain, we gain a lot as well. But it's crucial that we as the body of Christ don't reduce this place of communion to a mindless activity. 
It is not a religious ritual and a religious activity. It's actually fascinating as we begin to gaze not only upon, you know, the elements of communion, but the one that gave us those elements. And, you know, I'm reminded that Jesus shed his blood for every tribe, tongue, and nation, every socioeconomic group. I like to say that the blood of Jesus is the great equalizer, that it doesn't matter what your past was like, it doesn't matter where you came from, where you were born, how rich or how poor you are, the blood of Jesus just equalizes us all because we're not judged by your past, we're measured by the future. And he finishes things before he starts them. And so he's actually got an incredible future for you. And he's waiting for you. I believe there's an anticipation like opening up Christmas gifts as you begin to open up and unwrap that gift that is available, that is even available through things like communion. And so I love the mystery surrounding it because communion is one of those things that can actually hurt you if you're not saved, but yet you find great advancement when you are. And so if we look at it as something we do, I feel like we we risk the potential of losing the benefit. You know, the presence of God that brings you peace as we partake can actually trouble and irritate others that don't have him. It's like the scripture says that we're an aroma of life for those that are being saved, but an aroma of death for those that, you know, are distant and kind of like being distant. And so there's this great dividing that's taking place, I believe, because the Lord is actually wanting us to become aware, not only of where we've come from, but of where we're going and who who we are. And some of that really we're able to lay a hold of through these elements of communion. And you know, the heart of the Father is, is that you and I engage divine health in every aspect of our lives. I believe it starts at a spiritual level that we're healthy spiritually, that that we're alive spiritually, that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then there's the kind of the soul level, which is this horizontal reality that, that I can be fully alive in my soul, that my soul can be healed. And that means that if I'm listening to this inner dialogue of bitterness or rage or anger or unbelief, as I begin to partake of communion, I can cast my care upon him because he cares for you and cares for me, and cares for us. And so the crux of the gospel is really, I believe, in the Old Testament is found in Isaiah 53, where scripture is so wonderfully clear that uh, Isaiah prophesying, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Well, that word griefs can be translated sickness. You know, you can be sick, mental illness. I'm asking the Lord for victory over mental illness. We have a daughter that has some special needs. It would delight my heart to no end to see Jesus come and minister healing to her, and we're believing for it. You know, some of you, it's physical pain. I prayed for somebody this morning that had arch issues, and I'm saying, Jesus, you paid for him to get his arches healed. I'm believing that it'll be so. And so he, our sorrows, our pains, he carried. You see, it was never the heart of the Father for you and I to live in the place of sorrow and pain in our existence. He created us in his image for the beauty of fellowship. And it was sin that brought those things in. And so when sin is fully defeated, we now have access to life and have it to the full. My question to you is, has sin been defeated? Yeah, the power of sin is defeated. The penalty of sin is defeated. I believe it's something that we can access We want to make those things that are our legal position in Christ, we want to make it our living condition. 
And I believe that communion, we, we partake of communion, it gives us access to boldly come into the throne of grace to obtain help in our time of need. And so there's so much that's there. And so Jesus took our griefs. He took our sicknesses. He took our sorrows. And in that passage in Isaiah 53, it ends with, by his scourgings or by his stripes, we are healed. And the reference is we are completely healed. Completely. You know, done away with. I mean, that's amazing news. But we want to make that our living condition, not just our legal position. And so I was recently reading a book by Benny uh, Johnson on communion and the power of it. I want to quickly just reiterate a few of the things that I believe we can access through communion. Number one is communion is a reminder to you and I whose we are, to whom we belong. See, we belong to the King of glory. He, he paid a price for you and I. We've been bought with a price. It states that a few times in 1 Corinthians. We've been bought with a price. You are no longer your own. He paid a price for you. And by the way, did you know that the price you pay for something determines the value of that thing? What was the price paid for you? The blood of Jesus. How precious was the blood of Jesus? Is the Lord getting the value for giving the blood of his one and only son? Does he have that value in you and I? Because I believe that the Lamb of God would receive the reward of his suffering means that he has every part of you, not just 98%. Sometimes that last 2% is the hardest to, to give, but you belong to him. And I, and I see communion as one of those things that reminds us of that. Another aspect is our identity. When we partake of communion, it is a reminder to us of who we are. That we become worthy to partake, not because of any righteousness of our own, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That I remind myself that I'm a son. I have legal access. I have the right. I have been declared worthy to partake of the body and the blood because of the blood of Jesus. And he draws me to himself in the place of intimacy as I partake of it. And in that place, when I get drawn to the fire of his heart and his love, I get healing. I get ministered to. Life begins to be partaken by myself of him. And so I align myself with my true identity. You know, that I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a son. And that there's still more. I love the fact that in the kingdom of God, there's always more. Say more. You know, there's more. There's more. The third thing is we remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. And this is a biggie because Jesus really accomplished incredible things. I, I made reference to the fact that that he came to destroy the work of the devil, right? He came that you might have life and have it to the full. There's this reality that when we partake, we can actually remind the devil of his failure. And if we remind him of his failure, it means that if he's got access in your life and my life, maybe it's time to give him the boot. We call it the five-fold ministry. I can say we give him the bootsma. That's our last name, you know? We just... It's like he has no legal access. If you've really been bought by the blood of Jesus, what legal access should the enemy have in your heart and life? And so maybe there's an aspect of repentance where we say, Lord, forgive me for doubt and unbelief. Forgive me allowing access to the enemy in my heart and life. I'm going to remind myself of who I am, and I'm going to remind myself of whose I am, and I'm going to remind myself that you paid a price, and this is what you did for me. And I want you to get the reward of your suffering in my life. So you don't just get 51% of me, but everything of me. And so by his blood, we have this legal access. It's legal 
for salvation, for healing, for deliverance, for the full sozo. We remind ourselves that divine health is our birthright. Guys, it's ours. It's been paid. It's our birthright. His body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. He died for our sins, for our sickness. Anything that threatens to steal, kill, or destroy that needs to be apprehended and removed. Amen? Yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing is, is in taking communion, we want to partner with Jesus for our corporate and personal breakthrough, which means that according to Exodus 12, we can partake of communion for our families. We can partake of communion for friends around us. You know, Benny tells the story about how her husband, Bill, and many of you, if you don't know Bill Johnson, Bill pastors Bethel Church in Reading. He's well-known, author of many books, brilliant speaker, The Wisdom of Solomon, and I believe more because he's in a new covenant. And so Bill is, um, he's a hero in the faith. He really is. He's an example and a model to all of us. But he got ill in 2015, and he had a hard time eating and drinking. And so what did they do? They began to take communion together, he and his wife, to begin to declare that healing that was available for them. They spoke it with authority and declaration. By 2016, things actually got worse. And so we walk by faith and not by sight, don't we? And things got worse, and they did the tests and the exams, and they found out that there was a growth in his small intestine. And they're saying this is actually very serious because if it continues to grow, it's life and death. And they said that we need to do a surgery, and, it's a, and, and if it goes the wrong way, it could be game over. But if, if there's not much room in his intestine from this growth, because he could eat or drink nothing whatsoever. And so they began to pray, and they said, Lord, this growth needs to either shrink or get out of the way so that they could go in there and remove it. So Benny started a prayer chain where they began to pray day and night. They took communion. They interceded. And then Bill went in for the test when it was time to do surgery. And praise God, the thing started to shift out of the way so that they could do the surgery. And it's completely fine today. Isn't it awesome? You know, those are, those are big things when it's life and death, but there's also smaller things. You know, I remember our daughter, Gloriana, who's here today. When she was born, she had a little thing on her lip called a ranula. And, you know, it's like it's not a life or death reality, but we thought we have authority. We can access this. So we began to pray and declare, and we would take communion, and we'd say, Jesus, we're believing for healing on that. And we didn't do it every day. Life happens. We don't think about the ranula on a regular basis. But suddenly at the age of three or four, we just... Patricia said, John, it's gone. The ranula is gone, you know? And so we were told it was going to be a surgery issue. And so the Lord healed her. And so I want to say to you, what is it in your life and heart? What is it that you need the Lord to do for you? Was it covered by the blood of Jesus? Was it covered by the body of Jesus? And I believe that it absolutely was. And so we have, according to Hebrews 10, we have this confidence or assurance to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And so let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So there's this reality of vertical and horizontal. We partake of his body, and yet we're the body. We want to honor one another in the midst of that flow. And... Uh, and it's beautiful. It's available for us, church, so let's take of it. The second part I want to really address today is pertaining to, uh, to communion as regarding to the future. You know, the, the communion, what we speak of as the Lord's Supper, is really more of a Gentile version of the Jewish Passover. 
And so we refer to it as the Last Supper. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives reference to that at that Last Supper where Jesus took the bread and broke it. But there is a revelation from Passover that I believe is deeply valuable to us to begin to partake of. And I believe it, it really warms our hearts and it releases things within our, our hearts. And so this is, this is the future part. Passover has not been fully and totally fulfilled yet. There is an aspect of the Passover that is still to come. And I want to address that right now because we have been grafted into this olive tree. There's this, Romans speaks about the fatness of the olive tree. There's a richness of history in the Hebraic nature of our faith. The, the, the roots of what God started with Israel, we get to partake of. And so it was required for the Jewish people to celebrate Passover as one of the spring feasts every year. But what they did is they celebrated and they needed to take four cups. The Apostle Paul talks about taking the cup after supper. My question to you is, which cup are we taking after supper? First, second, third, or fourth? Unless you study the original, you may not know where it's at. And so may today be a day that we get some level of revelation on it. Now understand that there's a corollary that the way the Lord worked with the Israelites when they were in slavery in Egypt is similar to my story and your story. Because with the Israelites, they were enslaved for 430 years. And just as they were held captive to Pharaoh in a foreign land, so too we as Christians are held in captivity to a world system under Satan before we were born again. And so there's a place of deliverance that is absolutely required. And as we read Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, we see four I wills that actually correspond to the four cups of Passover. I want us to talk about those four I wills right now, and we're going to talk about those four cups. And the first two really are very much um, in agreement with how we can apply communion to our lives for the here and now and today. And so Exodus 6.6 6 declares, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That word burdens can be tolerated as, or translated as toleration or the tolerance. And so essentially what he's saying here is, is that when you're involved and when you're wrought, you know, kind of ground in this place of slavery for 430 years, you just have no capacity to think of yourselves in any other format as other than being a slave. And many times when you and I are in this world system and caught up by things that actually hold us captive, we have no capacity to think of ourselves as being free from those things. And so the Lord is saying, I will bring you out from under the burdens or under the tolerance. We tolerate evil and we don't even think about it twice. And so what the Lord did with the children of Israel is he put a cry in their heart and an anguish in their heart and said, I want you to begin to believe that there's a place of freedom available so that as they would cry out, God would come and answer them in that place and bring freedom to them. And so you and I, you know, I don't know if there's any sin that's holding you captive. I don't know if there's sickness that holds you captive. I believe the will of the Lord is for you to begin to cry out and have a heart that says there is freedom available and I want the freedom rather rather than living with the sin or the sickness in your own life. And that's available to us. And so that's what happened. He made, God supernaturally made the Israelites hate their bondage, and he made them hate and bring an end to the toleration of their slavery. We do not want to tolerate sin, church. We do not want to tolerate sickness. 
There's no place for it. It's that the Lamb of God would receive the reward of his suffering. And so the first cup is called the cup of remembrance. In the Passover, they remembered from whence they came. You and I, when we receive communion, I believe we can remember from whence we came. We can give thanks from what God delivered us from. Romans 5, 8, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. He initiated, I became the recipient of this amazing benefit. The second cup is called a cup of deliverance. And, and uh, Exodus 6, 6 says, I will deliver you from their bondage. So the first is you begin to cry out. The second is God breaks in and begins to deliver you. And so the story in Israel was that the blood of the lamb was put upon the doorposts so that when the angel of death came, he would pass over so that they ended up getting freedom. And by the end of that Passover season, not only were they delivered and left in the middle of the night, but they plundered the Egyptians of all their silver and of all their gold, which is created in a great synopsis in Psalm 105 that says that he also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among the tribes, or New American Standard says, not one who stumbled. Guys, that's a, that's a foreshadowing. That is a, an initial benchmark by which we can say it was, it was prophesied then. We live into it today. And so that second cup of deliverance, we ourselves have begun to receive by extension, meaning that the blood healed their bodies then. The blood can heal our bodies today, meaning that healing and redemption is not complete until it's fully worked out into our lives. Now, that said, that still doesn't give us a new identity. You know, we can get deliverance from the place of our bondage. We can get deliverance from the place of sorrow or sickness in our lives. But we still need a place of a new identity. And that's what takes place with the third cup. The third cup in the Hebrew Passover is recognized as the cup of redemption. And in that cup of redemption, Exodus 6.6 6 says, I also will redeem you with an outstretched hand, or arm, I'm sorry, and with great judgments. And that word to redeem in Hebrew means to buy back. That means that we actually legally were the property of the Pharaoh of the day. We were legally the property of Satan. We weren't in the beginning because God created us in his image, but Adam sinned, and Adam had the authority. Adam legally gave the authority over to the enemy, so the enemy had authority over your life. Jesus came to redeem you. When we partake of that third cup, the cup of redemption, we are redeemed. We are purchased back with the price, the blood of Jesus Christ, to come back that we get a new identity in Christ. My identity is no longer that of a slave. My identity becomes that of a son. And ultimately, a priest before the Lord that I get to minister to him in his kingdom. And the beautiful thing is, is that to put an end to one covenant, there needs to be an, a death or something. And so what did the Lord arrange? Through the Red Sea, which we recognize as the waters or the waters of baptism, Pharaoh and his armies are put to death in the Red Sea. So that God could legally begin to take them to himself once again. There's been a death in the new covenant. Do you know what the death is? It's the death of Jesus Christ on a cross that he shed his blood. And so that death draws you and I back unto himself. Peter puts it this way, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ.
Guys, this blood is of extreme value. And so are you, by the way, because that was the price paid for you. Another great uh, symbol that we can look at this is to recognize the kinsman redeemer, which is part of that third cup, the cup of redemption. In Hebrew, the concept of a redeemer is called a goel, also known as the kinsman redeemer. Every family or every tribe had one. And the kinsman redeemer would go to the enemy's camp or to a person who had suffered a crime at the hand of another, such as Naomi, if we remember when she was, you know, went to another nation and in the book of Ruth, the misfortune she had, and they could, they could pay a redemption price to pay or to buy back the family member. The price is paid so they can be restored and they could be returned to their land and to their family. Of course, Boaz, a type of Christ, is known as a kinsman redeemer, paid the price for Ruth. And so you and I get to enjoy those symbols from times past that really happen and put them upon our own lives to know that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And God also was the kinsman redeemer of Israel. He brought Israel, bought them back from the enemy, and brought them back to the wilderness as a priest to the Lord to minister to him. And so this third cup of redemption really is where we also pass through the waters. You know, the baptism, I want to say to you, baptism is so crucial. Get water baptized, because I believe water baptism isn't what brings you, you know, gives you access to be saved forever. It's his blood. But I believe that water baptism completely destroys and eliminates any enemy access to your life. You know, even cults will, are more interested in, have you been water baptized? Because they can still try to pull you back into Egypt, quote unquote, if you're not. But when you're water baptized, it's like the, the principalities, the powers, the authority is washed off of you in those pool of baptism. And so there's a transfer, there's a redemption, there's a buying back that takes place. You get transferred from one kingdom to another, from a cruel taskmaster to a loving redeemer. Isn't it awesome? And so how does this relate to Jesus then, who says to his disciples, I have this desire to partake of this Passover. I'm going to read from Luke 22. It's very similar in Matthew, very similar in Mark. It says, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will never again eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Well, that word earnestly desire actually is a reference. Another word that has been used in scripture is there's a longing. I have coveted, lusted. I've actually deeply desired. I've set my heart upon the fact that I long and desire to partake of this Passover with you, my disciples, and what we call the Last Supper. It is a deep desire in his heart. Here's how the Passion Translation puts it, and it's from the Aramaic. Jesus told them, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my sufferings. I promise you that the next time we eat this, we will be together in the banquet of God's kingdom. He goes on, then he raised the cup and he gave thanks to God and he said to them, take this and pass it on one to another and drink. I promise you that the next time we drink this wine, we will be together in the feast of God's kingdom realm. See, it's a little communion cup. Many of you may have seen them. You know, we, Patricia and I have a whole bunch of these. We try to take communion on a daily basis. We miss it sometimes. But I believe that it, it reminds us of so much. I want to encourage you, take communion every day. 
Because there's this element where we are reminded not only of where we've come from, we're reminded of who we belong to. We're reminded of whose we are. We are reminded that we've been redeemed, delivered and redeemed and bought back. But we're reminded of so much more because Jesus says, I have fervent desire. Why was there fervent desire? Because it was an appointment that he had in his heart for a long time. See, the Jewish people had what's called a moed or an appointed time. And they kept these appointments every year, you know, the religious Jews in that case. And the irony is, is to this day, the religious Jews keep these appointments and they have no idea what they're doing. I mean, they, they have an idea, but they don't see Yeshua. They don't see him. They don't see Jesus yet. And yet it is there hidden in plain sight under our face. It's an appointment that Jesus desired. So what made that particular Passover any different? Why should that last one before Jesus died be any different than the ones that they'd celebrated for the last 1,500 years back to Exodus chapter 12? Well, because Jesus, it says, took the cup after supper. The cup taken after supper for the, you know, just so that we know, is typically the third cup. It's the cup of redemption. So he took the cup after supper, but this time, where every year they've got the Seder, it's called the Passover Seder, or the Order, or the Haggadah, you know, the Order of Service, and Patricia and I, have, this, I think this is the first year I missed one in a long time, we've done it for seven or ten years or thereabouts, but suddenly Jesus started to, to shift things. He changed it, and he started talking wedding language. Now, why would you say he talked wedding language? I don't think through our Gentile mindsets we would see it as wedding language. A Jewish person knows the Jewish wedding feast. They understand the Jewish wedding language. And what he did is he turned it into a betrothal cup. He began to use language that only a bridegroom would use. So to give you full understanding, I want to give you eight points as a context to a Jewish wedding. Because it really feeds into it. The Jewish wedding is actually in Scripture and throughout Scripture for us to see. Number one, the father chooses a bride for his son. Number two, the son will go to the bride's house, take with him a skin of wine and a sum of money. That sum of money is called a mohar or a bridal price. If the bride agrees to this wedding proposal, she will drink the cup of wine with the bridegroom. And of course, this is in the presence of the father of the bride. Then a legal contract known as a ketubah is signed and the price for the bride is paid. I like that system, by the way, um, Lucas. You know, like here in our culture, it's like the, 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 the bride's parents have to pay it all. I think, you know, it's time to turn that back to a Jewish reality, isn't it? So, bless you, Lucas. So the, the ketubah is signed, the price for the bride is paid. He leaves a gift for the bride as a promise of his return, and now they're legally married, and they would actually require a divorce to end that agreement. It is so serious. It's recognized, the betrothal. Number six, the groom then goes away, usually for around a year, to build a bridal chamber, also known as a hoopah, to take his bride to upon his return. Now, it's noteworthy to recognize that with reference to when the bridegroom might return to the bride, the Jews would actually state as their Jewish idiom, no man knows the day or the hour. Have you heard that saying before? No man knows the day or the hour, only the father. Number seven, when the father has inspected the hoopah or the addition to the home and it meets his specifications, a shofar is, born, is, is blown 
And the bridegroom with four men carry a palanquin, which is like a a carriage. They carry it on their shoulders to go and kidnap or abduct the bride and take her back in a procession to the bridal's, to the, to the, uh, to the bride's, sorry, to the, to the hoopah. And what they do is as they're bringing this palanquin, they're shouting out, behold, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom cometh, behold. So read Matthew 25 if you want to know more on that. And so the bridegroom in the Jewish context is recognized as a thief in the night because they don't know the day or the hour in which he's going to come. So he's a thief in the night. And he, as he comes to kidnap her, then they go back to the, to the groom's home and they partake of the fourth cup. The fourth cup is actually known as the cup of consummation. And what they'll do is they will actually go in and consummate the marriage for seven days. Try to figure that one out. So the point here is is that the two cups that relate to the ancient Jewish wedding carry the significance, as I see it, of the third and fourth cup of the Jewish Seder. So therefore, after the cup of betrothal, actually, let me skip that. So therefore, then after supper, Jesus is stating, he lifted the third cup for the disciples to take together after the meal, but the fourth cup, which is the cup of consummation, He actually says, I'm not going to drink it until the day that I come again to take my bride to myself. So we take the third cup, formerly known as the cup of redemption, recognized as the cup that you've been bought back. You're no longer a slave. I put a cry in your heart. You've come out of the place of slavery. I've bought you to myself. There's a reason that I bought you to to myself, that that I loved you. I desired you. I looked for you. I paid the price. By the way, what's the bridal price? It's the blood of Jesus. What's the gift that the Father left for us? It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. A deposit, a down payment, a guarantee that says, I'm coming again. And when I come again, I will bring you to myself. And so where will Jesus be going after partaking of the third cup? He's going to the wedding hoopah, but where's that in the Bible? Well, there he is. After the Passover of John chapter 13, he's reading John 14. And right there in verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go and prepare a place for you. Yeah, wow. Say it backwards. Wow. (laughs) And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. You know, guys and gals, Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He didn't just die so that you could escape hell. And I am, don't get me wrong, I am deeply, deeply grateful that I am, have no destiny in hell. I really am. But he died for so much more. He died not that you could go to heaven. Did you know the Jewish mindset is not that we all get to go to heaven when we die? The Jewish mindset is is that the kingdom of God comes to earth. We as Gentiles tend to think that it's all about going to heaven when we die. We kind of get it mixed up, you know. Now, they're all a reality because, you know, heaven is a beautiful place. But it's really releasing the glory of God. God's intention and desire is that the earth would be just like heaven. That's why the Lord's Prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is going to prepare a place for us because his, the deep desire, the longing, the passion of his heart, the appointment that he was waiting to keep 
was to prepare his disciples for that time and that day in which we could join him as his bride forever in this place where we're partaking of that fourth cup. Because the destiny that awaits you and I is not to go play in a cloud in heavenly places. It's to rule and reign with our bridegroom king on the earth, over the planet, over the nations of the earth. It's a beautiful story. You know, Disney can't do any better. I promise you. They got some of it right because it's all about the, you know, the, the, the hero, the prince that comes and rescues a, you know, a bride that's in distress. And then he rescues her and they go and live happily ever after. Well, they got that part right. But this time it's our story and the drama is really beautiful. It's really real. And so after that third cup, Jesus says, I'm longing to drink of this third cup because suddenly he's betrothed to his disciples. Suddenly they drink of it together, but he's saying, I can't drink of this fourth cup just yet. I'm going to drink it anew. I promise you when we get into, the, into my father's kingdom, that messianic banquet that's mentioned in Isaiah and elsewhere, Isaiah 2, and I think it's 24, 25, you know, where we all get to partake together. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation. That's the longing of his heart. So he paid the bridal price with his own blood, and then at Pentecost, he left a gift for his bride, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so Isaiah, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, declares, I will take you as in marriage. You can look at that text. It actually is a reference to marriage where he took Israel to the top of the mountain to be engaged to her, to marry his bride. But unfortunately, they rejected her and they said, no, Moses, you look. They rejected God. They said, you look, you talk to us for him. And the Lord was inviting Israel to a wedding feast during Pentecost on the top of Mount Sinai. May you and I be different this time. May we say, Jesus, we say yes to you. I want to marry the Lamb of God. There's a betrothal. I drink of the cup, the place of intimacy, that every time I partake, every time I remember, yes, I remember my past, but I long with the bridegroom for the day in the future where he will return. And so Exodus 6, 7, the fourth cup, I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens or the tolerance of the Egyptians. And so right now, where's Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's there building that bridal chamber, you know, that hoopah, adding it to his Father's house. And only the Father knows the day or the hour, but one day the groom, with passionate desire in his heart, will take his bride there, and they're going to drink of that fourth cup together. I hope you're part of the bride. You know, how do we know? How do we know? I believe, well, number one, you receive Christ Jesus in your heart. If you've never received him, we want to pray with you after. You must, you must be born again. You must be born into this beautiful relationship. But number two, he puts desire in our hearts. That's why I, I suggest to you it's not a meaningless religious ritual. We partake of communion. You can partake of Passover in the new year. As we partake, we begin to recognize it's a cup of betrothal. There's a longing in my heart for you. You know, the first cup said that he is the one that actually put a cry in our hearts to say, I no longer want to be a place of slavery. I believe there's some of us here that are saying, I feel nothing when it comes to intimacy. Maybe more of a male issue than a female problem, but I feel nothing. I believe the same God who can put a cry into the hearts of those trapped in slavery to sin is well able to put a cry into our hearts to say, I want to know what it is to be intimate with you, Jesus. 
I want to know what it is to carry bridal heart love in my heart, to love you with everything that is within me, that the first commandment would take the first place. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 makes reference that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father in the throne of God. You know, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? Who was the joy? Yeah, why don't you point to yourself, like, I am. I am. I am his joy. Don't shortchange yourself. Don't sell yourself short on who he says you are. The definition of humility that is so powerful is humility is agreeing with God on who you are. You are invited, you are betrothed as we partake of this communion. You're invited and betrothed to love him, to awaken love. The Song of Songs says, don't awaken love before it's time. It says it several times. Can I speak over you today? It's time. It's time. It's time to receive communion. I want to give you some instructions, so don't leave yet. The way we're going to receive communion today is we're going to have you know, I mean, whether you want to get one person to get communion for several, but we got the elements, we got the, the bread representing his body, we got the cup, the cup of the new covenant in his blood. I want you each to get one if you feel like you've given your life to Jesus, if you're ready, if you want an awakening in your spirit, your soul, and your body to come alive to him. And then when you all gather together, we're not going to take it in groups, so just wait for me. And then we're going to go through 1 Corinthians 11, what the Apostle Paul declared. We're going to partake, and I I want to see an awakening in your heart. I declare right now a blessing on your spirit, man, to come alive, that intimacy would, would be birthed or would develop or would increase, that a longing in your heart would be made made manifest. And so go ahead. You can go get the elements now, and we'll partake of that together. Jesus, we love you. Our hearts, Lord, are drawn to you. We've been created for this love. We've been created for Jesus. We've been created as the bride. Lord, thank you that the longing of your heart has become the longing of our hearts, that there's a a messianic kingdom. There's a, a wedding feast to come. Our founding pastor, John Arnott, would often say, you don't want to miss the wedding. You don't want to miss the wedding. I'm convinced that beholding the beauty of the Lord, the gazing upon his presence, I'm convinced that that is what will sustain us in the times to come. He is worth it. He is worth it, church. He's worth it. God, come and Stir our hearts, impart into our hearts this place of intimate, bridal love. It's not a sexual thing, guys, okay? It's got nothing really to do with that. It's, it's, it's a heart connection. It's this passionate love. It's bridal love. You will come alive. And so I pray that the cap be lifted off in Jesus' name. We lift the cop, cap off. We break the shell. So, quoting from the Apostle Paul, for, and you can stand for this if you wish.
for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, it's astounding. Knowing he was about to be betrayed, knowing he was about to die, he gave thanks. He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Body of Jesus, broken for you. I thank you for healing, healing this afternoon. The presence of the Almighty One takes away sickness, takes away disease. Say life, life to your body, life to your mental, you know, your emotional condition. Shalom upon you. Apostle Paul continues, he says, in the same way he took the cup, the third cup of the Passover, after supper, because the third cup was the cup taken after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together the cup of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. I declare over you your sins are forgiven. I declare over you that your future is better than your past. I bless the longing of intimacy, godly desire to be birthed, desire awakened. Scripture says, desire awakened is a tree of life. Pour out your spirit here today. Awaken your bride. Lord, I pray that where there's been a slumbering, a slumbering in our hearts, that where we've taken communion more as ritual, we've not understood all that's available to us. I'm declaring awakening in your hearts right now. Desire released. I bless your spirit to come alive. Stir up the place of intimacy. Bless the eyes of your heart that they would be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what is the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. And to know his peace, which passes all understanding. Jesus, we love you. you speak your own words to him. Why don't you tell him your love for him? You know, love and praise isn't love and praise till you give it away. Tell him how much you love him.
Tell him you're grateful. Are you longing for that day? Jesus, we long for the day. We long for the day where you come and take us all away to be with you forever and ever. Deeper yet, deeper yet. Yeah. There's a new covenant in his blood. I bless longing and yearning. I bless godly desire to be stirred up. Godly desire. I bless you to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. to love him wholeheartedly, not just half-heartedly. Jesus, you're our everything. We give you our worship. We give you our praise. We delight in you. And Lord, we take it today. I believe some of you here are taking communion on behalf of your family. You know, some of you have sons and daughters that are prodigal. They're they once tasted and seen that he's good, but they've just lost their way for a little season. You know, we have access. We, we can partake of it, but we partake of all four. Really, there's a recognition. There's an aspect of everything. Lord, we pray over every, every child, every brother, sister, parents. That we're declaring or to come into the kingdom. We're calling. Father, we take communion for them. We partake together. We're saying that the blood of the lamb was for our whole household so that they would also taste and see that you are good, that they would also partake of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your passionate desire for each one of us in Jesus' name. You're the God of passionate desire. You're God of passionate desire. I declare shift, shift. Some of you, there needs to be a shift in your own heart. Some of you feel so weighed down and oppressed and repressed by the devil. We say that that second cup of deliverance is for you, that he delivers you from the power of the enemy. He delivers you from the demonic bondage. It's available, it's in the blood, it's in the body of Jesus fullness of life the richness of the glory of God king of glory come in you're welcome in our homes you're welcome in our hearts you're welcome in our marriages you're welcome in our finances Lord we're believing you for the abundance you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly that there's more than enough to give away we can give away for every good work or we can give away love, we can give away intimacy, we can give away of, you know, even this impartation of this love affair with Jesus. Stir it up, God. Never the same in Jesus' name, never the same. Lord, every time we partake of communion, we say we remember you. No more a religious ritual, but we remember we're betrothed. The price was paid. We long for you even as you long for us in Jesus' name.